Hi guys, here we are today with uh, Felix Pren, a financial educator and chief educator at GOAT Academy. Felix, good to have you with us. How are you? I'm very, very well, Lawrence, and I'm very excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me on. Well, I have to say, look, great to see you again. And I have to say, I'm, a, I'm admiring the art in the background. Uh, very <laughs> impressed with that. Well, I have to take credit for that, unfortunately. But yes, I, I go a little nuts sometimes for some oil paints. No, it's, it's, it's impressive. Um, something I'd actually quite like to be able to do myself. But again, today, we're here to talk about um, uh, Goat Academy. We're here to talk about financial education and really learn about you know, what people can do to get ahead, to learn how to trade um, and really understand what it is that you, know, you guys are setting up why you set it up and what it is that really Ghost Academy is actually looking to achieve. Yeah, thanks very much, Lawrence. So essentially the whole, the whole thing kicked off about a year and a half ago or so. And um, I have a little bit of a background. I used to be a banker and hedge fund strategy for a little stint. And um, I then did lots of other businesses sort of entrepreneuring around and a bit of legal this and, and, and a few, you know, dot com things and that sort of stuff. A little bit of a diverse kind of experience. And um, when COVID hit, I suddenly had some time because I wasn't flying around Asia as I usually was, you know, once or twice a week. So I thought, well, at the back of my mind, there'd always been this thing that I kind of wanted to get more people to understand how to actually handle their money and their investments and not repeat the, the mess that I, I, I had gone through uh, when I started. So, um, you know, when I was very young, I, I don't know, the first 10K or something that I, that I earned, um, I invested it in biotech funds, and that was 1999, which wasn't a particularly good time. If you remember the dot-com bust and all of that. I, I um, do. I'm, I'm just about old enough to remember that. Do you? Okay. Yeah. I, I was sitting in a, in a dot-com office in, uh, in, in a German company, funnily enough, um, and I remember very distinctly the lights being switched off, like literally um, the VC had pulled the funding. So we went from party to like, you know, just nothing uh, in, a, in, a, in a space of, of a week. Um, but the, yeah, for me, the whole experience of investing as a kind of a young kind of guy, not really knowing what the hell to do, was you know you go to your bank as a financial advisor he gives you a bunch of brochures all the charts point up it all looks wonderful and you think that's it that's the new innovation let's chuck my money at it and then a year later you're down like 50 percent and uh and you look at it and you go well the bank made about 15 percent on this in fees and i am down 50 percent. how does this make any sense and i see this still unfortunately again and again and again and there's two parts to that one is you lose money which is frustrating and the second is it discourages people from continuing to invest from continuing to kind of investigate how to actually invest and i really thought well if i can help and my, my goal is to help a hundred thousand people initially to achieve that then i think i would have made a really good contribution i made a lot of people happy and i thought that would be a really fun thing to do so that's kind of how this whole all got started and um and it's going tremendously well and it's it's fantastic fun and of course, you you also got you know, you've got your um, YouTube channel. Um, again, it's been wildly popular, and it's something that has really been able to like hone in on educating people on how to go about actually trading and benefiting from the market volatility. Which I think it's fair to say is is well, am I right in saying that is, this even this level of volatility is abnormal? Yes, definitely. No, it's been an insane year, um, and. 
we've made a lot of money. Like I think uh, my options portfolio is up something like 110% or something since the beginning of the year. And that's because we like volatility. Volatility is, is actually something that you can trade. So the way most people trade is they wake up in the morning and they go, I think Tesla is going to go up. So they either buy Tesla or maybe they buy a call option on Tesla and they make this kind of very one directional bet, which has about a 50, 50% chance of working out because you know, it best case scenario, you, you're basically 50, 50, if you buy a stock to whether it's going to go up or down today. Um, or they do what's even worse. And they say, well, I think the stock's going to continue to go up. Let me buy a leap option, which is sort of something that's valid for a year or two. And you're kind of saying in 2024, I think Tesla is going to be worth X. And that probably has about a 10, 15% chance of making you money. So the slot machine is a far, far better place to invest your money. I guess that gives you a high, higher odds or, you know, the uh, roulette or something that gives you about 47% if you put it on black and red. So people think that they're making a smart decision, but they, they are essentially gambling. And what I teach people is to do it the way that the banks trade, the, the way that investors, you know, professional investors trade. And that's that they are, and there's this strange concept called, called market neutral. You, you, you want to be market neutral. You don't want to care whether the stock goes up or down. And that's how we make money. And to give you one example, I have a trade on a stock called FCX open, sort of a commodities thing. And I thought the stock would go up. The stock's gone down 6% since I thought it was going to go up. Now, is it losing me money? No, it's making me money. And it's making me the maximum amount that trade could have made me. And in fact, it could go down another 5% and it'll still make me money. So that room for error is what most retail traders don't know how to set up. And that's a, that's a really, really unfortunate. That's the difference between making money and losing money. And again, I mean, you know, you, you make it sound, you make it sound like um, fairly simple in terms of what you're doing. But I mean, I would imagine it's actually far, far more complex in terms of like our, our um, community. Rayon is, without exaggeration, over ninety nine percent like computer, like computer scientists or computer science background. Um, how much of this is technical? How much of this is behavioural? And like, who actually go? Who actually makes the best traders? In your opinion? In my opinion, it's people with a bit of a mathematical training. And this isn't actually super complex. This isn't really that maths based, but it's just, if you're trained to look at a lot of data and you can see the wood for the trees or rather the other way around, then that helps. So I find engineers do super well. Um, I've got actually, I, I got one of my coaching students I spoke to yesterday and, and he's an IT guy and, and he does it really well because they don't mind data usually they quite like it right they're they're, they're trained to in, in a mathematical level to a very high degree much more than we need um, but I've also got people from all sorts of other walks of life um, it, but it's just if you see um, you know five probability numbers and that freaks you out then this probably isn't for you but if you are able to look at just a sheet of numbers and, and and you know if provided i tell you what each column means you can do that on your own then you're not going to find this difficult and i think people always assume it's very difficult people assume what banks do is incredibly complex it really isn't like when i first stepped onto a trading floor in an investment bank i thought this was going to be some sort of rocket science and you meet the guys and they're super nice but they're not like geniuses you know they're just like you and me um regular people and yeah they talk about 
acronyms that you haven't heard of, but that's the same in every industry. And once you decipher what those mean, it's, it's a fairly standard basic thing. And they do the same thing again and again and again every single day. And that's how they make money. And again, in terms of this, like the people that go onto the trading floors, how much experience do they have like beforehand and how much experience do people need to start on your program? And again, the reason why I'm probably pushing so much on this, I'm very open about my belief in stocks, my belief in investments. I believe that if people try and make money the way that their parents did, they're probably going to fail. And I think that actually now, there's a phenomenal opportunity especially for people around i'm almost i don't hide my feelings about this i want them taking up courses like goat academy and i want them learning because i think that actually it's going to get much harder in the future and i think now for these 21 22 year olds you know who are already starting to play around with crypto this is something that they really need to be investing a lot of time and energy in actually learning I, I, you couldn't have said it better. And in, in, in my view, if you look at the statistics of people who are truly wealthy, 90% of their wealth came from investments. And that's what it should be. So if you get to a little bit of a later stage in life, 90% of your money should come from investing. 10% should be your salary or your business revenues that you generate. And look at most people, then it's the other way around, isn't it? They're working 10, 12, 16 hours a day on their business, and they're spending absolutely no time whatsoever on, on their investments. And, and that's a complete misallocation of time. It should really be the other way around. Um, now, actually, what I do doesn't take a lot of time. I probably spend about three hours a week trading. And I could do that quicker, but I live stream it for my students and I explain each trade as I do it. So it probably takes me twice as long as it ordinarily would. And um, uh, you know, come back to it. It isn't challenging. It isn't actually difficult. It's just you need to understand some of the basic strategies. Um, the guys you meet in a bank trading floor, yeah, they mostly have a degree in finance or maths or something. But a lot of the traders are simply following a pretty standard strategy that isn't really very complex that, you know, somebody could teach you in a week or two. Um, you then want to practice that in a kind of paper trading sort of you know, monopoly money kind of trading account for a couple of weeks to make sure you really know what you're doing. Um, and, and, and that's how I learned. Like I was lucky enough to meet some traders who were generous enough to share what they were doing. So I've never actually read a book in my life on options trading. Um, and I don't think it's helpful. I've glanced at some and I was like, this is just a bunch of theory that's explaining incredibly complex trades that no one I've ever met has ever done. So, you know, what, why do I need to know this? And I think that's a little bit the problem is that people read into these things and they think, oh my God, it's so complex. Look at what the formula and do I need to know exactly all these models? No, you don't, because the tools we now have, like as you say, Lauren, it's make it so easy to invest, to make it so easy to analyze. Everything is visual, there are charts and everything, and it's never been easier to make money as an investor than it is right now. So what should be, and again, I'm being slightly hypocritical here, I am largely a buy and hold investor. Um, mm -hmm. Again, I've, I again haven't hidden my... Um, almost affections for like companies like Palantir, like Neo. And again, for anyone watching, this is not advice in any way, shape or form. <laughs> but again, I'm, I'm a huge admirer of what those companies are doing. But what are the core lessons that, that people um, will take away from uh, learning to trade options and learning in the way that you're teaching them? I think I would always go back kind of one step, like what's your motive for actually doing what you're doing? Like, what is it that drives you? Like, where do you want to be in 10 years? And do you keep kind of running the same pattern? 
you know, you're doing the same thing again, you get paid, you invest or you don't, or you know, you gamble on this stock or that stock, and it goes up or down. Um, and I think if you really understand what your motivation is, what your want is, then suddenly I think you get this extra burst of energy to actually reassess this. And so that's kind of what I always like to start with is to figure out like what's driving people. Um, and when you understand that, and when you understand what actually makes a difference in their lives, what makes a difference in their performance, their output, then you can get them results. So the first thing I always ask people is like, what have you done? What are you doing right now? Let's look at your portfolio. And I'm a huge fan of stocks. I buy tons of stocks and I intend to hold them till you know, the end of time provided the financials keep you know, uh, churning out the way that they do. Um, and that's a great thing to do. And I, by the way, every single one of my options students, I force them to learn that too, because that's a very, very important thing uh, to understand. Um, and it becomes truly passive. To say, say I buy a Microsoft share, right? I've got, I don't know, 200,000 people working, beavering away without me doing anything about that. If I stop trading, the income stops. So if I ever want to just lie on the beach, then um, owning the Microsoft shares might be better in that point of view. Do, do you get them to do you? And again, not any financial advice, but it, is it something where you encourage them to buy like index funds or is it something where you say actually buy individual equities? I think there is nothing wrong with either choice. I think even if you buy an index fund, you ought to understand at least what the top 10 or top 20 positions are. And, and I mean that by looking at What's the business? Like if your friend or brother came along and says, Lawrence, will you lend me $100,000 for my business? What are you going to ask him? Are you going to ask him, what's your business? Who are your clients? What are your margins? What's your performance history? You know, where do you think this is going, right? People don't do that with stocks. And I don't understand why. Well, funny enough, so actually, and I, I think we've touched on this in a past conversation. So my brother, like he's really like getting into um, investing in stocks. And, and again, he, his background, he's a lawyer very very disciplined very disciplined and i think that actually a big part of investing whether it's options trading whether it's a buy and hold in of a passive investor i think a large part of that is the discipline that comes with it absolutely um, and, and again going back to the background you were saying that largely engineers uh, make uh, good investors are there any is it largely those from professional backgrounds because again i have to say that on the rayon platform i think our average, the average earnings, average salary on our from our data, is just over or just just over three hundred thousand dollars a year. And again, I get the opportunity to speak to a lot of our community. They're not investing in stocks. They're not investing. I, I really don't know what they do with their cash because you know when you see their apartments, when you go there, they're living on Lamborghinis. <laughs> Lamborghinis. Yeah. No, not, they're not. Honestly, they've got like they'll, they'll, they've got like really cool screens. That's it. And, and I just wonder, I, I wonder where they're actually investing all their money. And I think that's the the thing to kind of highlight to people is to show them. Look, if you're making three hundred thousand a year, uh, and if you invested that into good quality stocks that might go up 10, 12% a year, okay? And that's brilliant. And you do very, very little to that. You just dump some money into it every week or every month and, and you leave it at that. Very, very low input. And maybe that's the right space for you if you are already working 18 hour days, seven days a week, as you're in the middle of a startup or something. Um, if you have a little bit more time, then, well, I, I'm making about 10, 12% on average a month. Uh, so that's, that's just a different, different thing completely. And put that into a compound calculator. Right. And, and you are suddenly thinking, well, how is this possible? But do you think that 
banks exist to make eight or 10 or 12% a year? Like, do you think that that would work? No, of course not. Do you think people are in hedge funds to make 10% a year? No, it's just, we've been trained by the financial industry that sells the world's worst products. 95% of funds out there underperform the market every year. The fund managers don't get fired and none of the money leaves those funds for the better funds because nobody knows where to put it. So it's just an industry that's basically based on underperforming, just being really average. And I, I want to throw something else in there. There's also survivorship bias. So in terms of the funds, when a fund isn't doing well, when a, when a fund is underperforming, right, they essentially just rebrand the fund, you know, and they, they incorporate it within a fund that is doing well. Um, it's, I, I think it's very hard for particularly retail investors mm. to, to know what to do. And again, I think this is where something like Ghost Academy, it, it gives people much more control over the decisions they make, but also much more, it enables them to actually understand how the institutions are working and how to get out ahead of them. So as someone that's worked for a lot of these asset management companies, I've worked for good ones. I've worked for bad ones, right? Um, but and, and the business model is fees, right? That's all it is. Like there is no linkage between their performance and what they're getting paid. There is no incentive to do well, none whatsoever. That, that's, that's how we like, it didn't matter what role you were in within the company. The goal was to generate fees. And actually at one point, I'm not going to say which company, but you know, the CEO was like very much like, it's just about taking, and he used his hands for that. It's about more and more and taking more and more of the client's money. Yeah. And, and it, it, it wasn't a bad product. It wasn't a bad company, but that culture, that attitude was just keep mm. giving us your money. Don't worry so much about the performance. And the performance wasn't bad, but you know, it didn't justify the hype. No, and it's this kind of adversarial kind of selling, right? It's just like, it's us and then it's them. Uh, yeah. and, and, and we just want to take as much of their money as possible. And, you know, there are hidden fees in, 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 in funds that they don't disclose for trading. And, you know, especially the actively managed funds are typically a complete ripoff. There are a couple of good ones. I mean, just to throw one out without really advertising it, but um, I put a lot of money in the UK in, in Fundsmith, for example, which I think is one of those examples of actually a well-run fund that has mod relatively modest fees and does, does a good job. So there are a couple of them out there, but they're probably a handful for out of 10,000. So to find that kind of needle in a haystack is, is, is very, very hard for, for investors to do. So I, I always think, look, you need to understand what they're doing. You need to understand, even if you are putting your money into an, a managed fund, you want to understand why they bought those stocks. Uh, what is it that drives them? Um, and can you quarterly look at those numbers in a really easy way? And yeah, you can. You just need to know which numbers to look at. It isn't difficult. But I, I think now, you know, we are flooded with this culture where customers are expecting faster, better service. Um, and I think that the bankers kind of, they do, they're, they're just guys doing their job, but there's this almost this element of like wizardry is in like, leave it to us. You know, you're mm. not going to understand it. When natural fact, I think that again, uh, you know, with, with largely what you're doing, there's an opportunity now for people to say, actually, I am going to learn. I am going to understand it. And they're going to realize, like you say, 10, 12%. You're not even beating inflation if you're doing that at the moment. No. In real time. No, you're not. And, and that's the shocking part, really. Um, now, the 
the only challenge I think with people learning is that it's it's difficult to find people who really know what they're talking about. And unfortunately, there's lots of stuff out there on on YouTube and so on that's great. And then there's lots of stuff out there that's sort of like oh, you know, especially in the option space, do covered calls, sell puts, and all these things, which is not a strategy you are ever ever going to see a professional investor take. Like you're never going to go to a hedge fund and what are you doing? And we do covered calls. It's just not going to happen because it makes very very small returns with a relatively high high risk. Um, so the access to these tools and i mean options trading has really only become a, a mass market thing probably in the last two years with platforms like Robinhood and, and people like that who i'm not a particular fan of but you know making it available but they're not really teaching people what to do they're just saying well here it is you can buy a call option or you can you know sell a put and if it goes wrong well you suddenly have 100 shares of tesla and there are you know, $300 a piece. Have you got 30 grand in your account? I hope so. Otherwise you're in margin. So, you know, it's, it's, it's giving people tools without actually giving them the guidance what to do with it. And that's, that's unfortunate. And can the rules that you're teaching be applied to the crypto market? Or is that a different game completely? It's a little bit of a different game. I mean, I'm, I get crypto from a use case point of view. And I think there is, there's huge blockchain. I, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of, a huge proponent of. Uh, crypto in itself it behaves so erratically the way it's traded that it's very, very difficult to kind of apply this sort of market neutral stance. Because essentially, we look for boring stocks that don't move all that much um, and say, by the end of the week, this thing is going to go up or down 10%. If it goes up or down 10%, you know, we collect our money. Um, and that's essentially, in a, in a nutshell, what, what options trading is all about. With crypto, that's pretty hard because it could be 30% up or 50% down at the end of the week. So I, I don't think that's really that complementary. Um, I think any form of investment, whether it's cryptos or stocks or options or real estate or whatever it is, I think there's a place for all of it. And I think in an ideal world, you probably do all of it and you just allocate a certain proportion of your capital to it. Uh, and that's what gets you in the long run better risk adjusted returns, which is really what we're all aiming for. So I mean, how do you go about with, with options trading? How do you go about deciding which stocks to focus on? Because I guess that's almost like a secondary decision. It's almost not that important as long as there's enough volatility in it. Essentially. So basically, like I, I use a watch list. Of course, I share that with our, our, our community. So we have a watch list and um, maybe there are 150 stocks in there or something. I sort them by volatility because I want high volatility. Um, and um, we then sell options on that. It's actually pretty simple. Um, if volatility goes really, really low, we might occasionally buy an option, but it's usually not advised. Generally, you want to be a seller, not a buyer. And that's again, where retail is generally a buyer. And I think one of the reasons that platforms like, um, you know, like, like these brokerages exist and have started offering options is because hedge funds who own those platforms or fund those platforms, they sell options. They want buyers for their options. So they've just created 10 million retail traders who are now buying options. Brilliant. They've got more volume in the market and they can execute more profitable trades while taking the money from, from retail. Um, so, yeah, so essentially we look for stocks that are not crazy. So we, we exclude meme stocks and anything super unpredictable, anything that has politics in it or you know anything like that. So at the moment, like I don't touch anything in, in the Chinese space because of the whole delisting saga or you know anything that has this sort of thing or if there is about to be a new US law on, I don't know, drilling oil or something, I wouldn't touch oil, so that's done. Uh, we want predictable, we don't want unpredictable. Um, and then we set up 
a relatively large number of small trades so that we're nicely diversified. We take correlation into account and all these kind of things. And um, that's basically it. it and, and we just take profits. It really isn't, it, it isn't rocket science. It's just, I think you kind of need to be handheld through it a little bit. It's, get, it's getting over that, that first barrier, right? And what's interesting, you get a lot of, so one thing that I found working in asset management, you got a lot of like ultra high net worth individuals who had, like they had 25 million plus liquid assets. And believe mm -hmm. it or not, there's quite a lot of people out there with that sort of liquid assets. Sure. Um, and they would like, again, self-managing, but they would also take quite a simplistic stance on investing. And, you know, they wouldn't, by my, by my, in my opinion, they wouldn't di um, diversify the, in the right way. Um, with these ultra high net worth individuals who are self-managing, like, like what guidance would you actually um, have for them or what advice would you have for them? So I, I, I teach people exactly like that. You've got, you know, eight, nine figure portfolios. And essentially it isn't any different to what you want to be doing with a smaller portfolio. It's just, first of all, you want to, you want to diversify. And the, the starting place, whether it's options or stocks, is, is everything you own tech? Okay. Maybe that's the space you're in. Maybe you've got some special insight because of the business you work in. That's brilliant. Then you can be heavier on that. But if you haven't got that special insight, you're going to be want to be spread across industries. You know, there are great businesses out there. Think about every elevator installed in, in, in buildings, right? Now, the elevator company gets a management contract for that. It's fairly unlikely you're going to rip the elevator out because you don't like the management company, right? So that's, a, that's an income stream for life. And there are plenty of these kind of sort of shovel businesses that are in necessity and have pretty good margins and therefore continue to make money. And they're not very sexy. They're not particularly famous. And that's the kind of thing I would look for as a stock investor. Um, but the mistake I see people make is say they buy Facebook and Google. Well, they're both advertising businesses. Yeah, they're tech, but essentially they're advertising businesses. That's really all it is. So owning both isn't particularly useful. It's not gonna give you all that much more. Um, and once you realize that, okay, you can still own both of them, but you didn't achieve any diversification. So you're going to want to find something in the consumer staple space or, you know, a weighing machine manufacturer in Switzerland, or, you know, I don't know, something that is just completely different to that business and isn't going to get affected when, you know, recession hits and advertising revenues drop. So I'm smiling, Felix, because actually my brother did exactly that. Um, he invested in Google and then a week later he was like, Bought, I've bought Facebook. I was like, why? Why have you done that? You same, same, same business, essentially. Actually, funnily enough, I, I do own a bit of both Facebook and Google. Oh, do um, you? Okay, fine. And, but I think as long as you realize, okay, say you wanted to do and have an allocation of 5%, that's split it between the two, then you didn't do any harm. But if you double down on it, then actually you probably created more harm than good. Sure. I'd say you probably wouldn't actually like some of the, the decisions I've made of late. Um, I think, again, with Neo in a smaller way i've taken like a very long position i'm aware of the risks with the sec etc but for me it's kind of like buy hold see what happens don't you know don't put too much into it yeah but, i think that's important especially for growth stocks like people need to have the 10-year horizon if you are not able to not touch this thing for 10 years just don't invest in growth stocks because they need to generate that revenue they need to get the products out right they need to put the wheels on hundreds of thousands of vehicles and get them shipped out and create the distribution and the infrastructure and that takes time so for people to expect to make a, a killing on these in, a, in, a, in six months or something that happens occasionally in, a, in the markets in a bit of a frenzy like 20 was it 2020 2021 um 
2020 already but you know everybody was a, everybody was a genius in 2020 and that's brilliant if you made money but like when you then have those things you also want to have an exit strategy so you 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 know when you want to take those profits you know so you're you're not getting surprised so i i jumped into palantir at the ipo and Jan, my co-founder rayon he was like when i think it was like january 2021 he was like man take your profits now i was like no no i'm disciplined buy and hold big mistake right should have actually just uh yeah, should have listened to him there was a moment when it really went up wasn't it oh yeah it was i think i think it hit like 44 dollars but in i i want to i want to put it back slightly um again talking talking about um go go, uh, go to academy like what, what is next for you guys what's the future you've already said you would you'd ideally like to get to your goal is to get to a hundred thousand uh people educating them um, really creating them the ability to have control of their own financial mm. future so what are the next steps for you guys so for me what i always say is i want people to actually have intergenerational wealth so i mean the kind of wealth where not only you are not worried about money but no one ever else is worried about money down the line your children and so on and it's super achievable it, it isn't a challenging thing to do you just need to know how to invest and you need to put aside a couple of hours a week to, aside from your job, actually do something with your money. And I think really what motivates us or what makes us, makes us satisfied as human beings is, is growth. It's that internal growth. That's kind of a basic need. Most people focus on all the kind of pleasures, you know, the smoking and the drinking and everything else. And you can, you can do that. But essentially, if you don't grow, I think you get stuck, you get frustrated. And it doesn't really matter how much money you earn and, and you know, how many friends you have and all that kind of thing. You just don't feel good. And I see that with people who are very successful, but they, they lack that growth, uh, especially people who sell out of businesses. They get a big lump sum of money. You think they should be on the top of the world. They're the most miserable people you've ever met because they enjoyed the building and the growing. So what I do with them is like, well, let's let's grow that. Let's make you in, be in charge of that money and let's grow that. And then suddenly they, they really enjoy it. And it also means they then feel that they have something of value to give, and whether that's to your children or something else. Like I was speaking to one of my students yesterday and he's, he's exited a lot of businesses very successfully. And um, you know what he was doing? He was driving a U-Haul um, with his daughter and her furnishings um, up to um, Boston. And I thought that's the most fantastic thing that that guy could be doing. Of course, you could send somebody with a driver or packer or whatever, but that's him giving. Do you know what I mean? He's spending that time with his child. He's got time. He's got plenty of money. And, and he's able to do that because he is financially independent and he's got his income from his wealth and he knows what he's doing. So that kind of contribution beyond ourselves is, I think, where the actual satisfaction comes from. That's also where my satisfaction comes from. So my goal is to we've got about two and a half thousand, maybe three thousand students um, by now. Um, I want to push that up very, very significantly. And, and it's seeing the satisfaction with people, um, getting them, seeing them get that results. You know, when people write to you and say, hey, um, you know, my 200K options portfolio is up $22,000 this week. And I'm like, that's, that's, that's a, you know, somebody who's happy. And that's somebody who's motivated. Uh, and I probably slapped them down a little bit and said, well, I think you probably made too much money. Let's have a look at your risk management here again. Um, but, you know, that's, it's, it's fun. It's exciting. And it's quick and, and, and essentially, you know, greater financial freedom and, and being able to control your finances for the rest of your life 
it's incredibly satisfying. It, it just is, no matter what you're doing, no matter what stage of life you're at. Um, and, and yeah, so that's essentially what I, what I spent my time doing. And, and it's, it's, it's great fun. It really is. And I'm correct in saying the, um, your website is goatacademy.org. Um, and again, people can obviously find your channel on, on YouTube as well. Yes, absolutely. And, and actually, we made a special link for you guys. So there is if you go to go to academy.org slash rayon, um, R-A-Y-O-N. I-O-N, sorry, R-A-I-O-N, then I'm sure you guys know how to spell it. Then if you if you enroll via that, you get a special discount as well on the program. So we give you guys a thousand bucks off. And just literally, if you go on that website, have a read of what it's about. You can book a call with us, chat with us zero pressure, zero commitment, just to have a chat, see whether it's the right fit for you. Like the only thing that I want is for people to be happy, for people to be satisfied. So if you go on the call and we see this isn't for you for some reason, then we'll just say, go and do this and go and do that. Um, it's not about pushing a program onto you, anything like that. It really is just, if it's a good fit, if you're gonna enjoy it, if you're gonna get a ton out of it, then um, be, we'd be excited to help and, and be working with you. If not, we'll point you in a direction and we'll still give you tons of value um, for free. So that's really that's really our mission. And Felix, you're, you're much more diplomatic than I am. Um, guys, you know, um, I want you go going there and actually checking out. I, I think it's actually really important that you get a grasp um, of your money, control of your finances from a very young age. I think on the round platform, you know who you are. You've made a lot of money at a very, very young age. And it's really important that you get the financial education to ensure that you, you don't lose it. And as Felix was saying, you make sure you, you grow your wealth and it becomes a generational wealth. So Felix, thank you once again. Great to see you again. I really appreciate your time. Thank you, Lawrence. Absolute pleasure. Delighted to be, to be chatting with you and, and we hope you hopefully we'll speak soon. Thank you. Take care. Take care, Lawrence.